We're going to read several scriptures this morning throughout the book of Daniel. And as we read several scriptures throughout the book of Daniel this morning, I pray that there'll be an encouragement to you because Daniel, if he was anything, this book talks about being a man of resolve, a man of resolve. And resolve means this, to have made a permanent decision or a firm decision, removing all doubts or dispelling all doubts. And that's who Daniel was, and that's what he is speaking to us. And so today as we're talking about the prophet Daniel, a little bit of background um, on Daniel, of who Daniel is, what Daniel did and um, who Daniel is to us today. Daniel was one of the captives that was brought captive when the first raiding began in Judah. You have, you have three different raids that take, were taking place in 605 B.C. That's the raid Daniel was taken in. Um, seven years later, uh, 597 B.C., Ezekiel was taken. And then um, 586 B.C., that's when Ju- Jeremiah was taken into captivity, which was the final time of captives being taken captive. And so Daniel was with captivity from the very beginning. And last week as we were talking about Ezekiel, Ezekiel began to prophesy in the midst of captivity. And I pray whatever is holding you captive, you'll begin to speak the word of God over your life in the midst of your captivity. Daniel is one of the prophets that when he was brought into captivity, he was a youth. He was a young boy and, and a young man. And he was of, of royalty of some sort because the Bible says when the, when the king brought all the people of Israel or, or Judah into captivity, he said, choose the best, choose the noble, choose the royals to put into my court to learn my language because he had plans for them to be mighty in his kingdom. Daniel was one of those people along with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego that were brought captive into the king's court to learn his training, to learn his ways, to eat his food, to do his things. And Daniel began to prophesy in the midst of captivity. And so the historical purpose of Daniel is this. He wrote to the exiles in Babylon, the Babylonian uh, capital, to encourage them to stay true to Jehovah God and not to bow down to other idols. In the United States of America today, there's plenty of opportunities to bow down to plenty of other things, but we as the body of Christ need to stay true to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We as the body of believers need to stay true to one God, and that's God the Father Almighty, the Holy God, the God that we serve, and we need to stay true to Him, not the gods of everything else and the gods that the world would say you you have to bow down to. The doctrinal purpose of this, it's twofold. It condemns the ungodly powers in charge of things in this world, at the same time communicating God's plan to set up a godly kingdom in this world. You've got to begin to recognize as a believer the ungodly things, the ungodly powers that are in this world trying to hold you down and keep you captive, at the same time realizing God is still trying to talk to us today the same way he did to Jesus to establish his eternal kingdom even right here until the second coming of Jesus Christ. I believe it's not, it, there's not a better time in the history of the world for the church to begin to rise up and establish God's kingdom like never before. But we're going to learn some things out of the book of Daniel on how that's going to take place. The Christological purpose of this is he displays who Christ is. He is the coming Messiah. He is the great cornerstone. He is the son of man. The Bible calls him the ancient of days in Daniel 7.22. And he does reveal himself as Christ himself. Daniel means God is judge and God is going to bring judgment upon all the, the nations that brought Israel and Judah captive and bring them back out into the, into the land where God promised them from the very beginning. And Daniel lived out his entire seven, this, the entire 70 years of captivity and Daniel is known as the messianic prophet. He prophesied about Jesus and he prophesied about the coming of Jesus to, to great extent and to great detail. And I'm going to start out with his call on life. And so if you're in Daniel, look at chapter number 2 and verse number 31. 
Daniel chapter number 2 and verse number 31. And I always want to encourage you to bring your Bibles to church for this reason. When you're in Walmart, you don't have the big screen over your head popping a scripture up and say, yeah, that scripture right there. Get to know your Bible. Get to know the books of the Bible. Get to know who wrote what books of the Bible and become very familiar with the word of God. And Daniel chapter 2, 31 says this. And it says, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image, the image of mighty and exceeding brightness stood before you. And its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was gold, and its chest arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet, on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. The iron and the clay and the bronze and the silver and the gold all together were broken to pieces, and it came like the chaff of the summer on the threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that there was not a trace of them that could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain who filled the whole earth. Now this is a dream that King Nebuchadnezzar had. That there was this huge statue, this huge image of gold and silver, of, of bronze and of clay and of iron all the way down. And as he had this dream, as he had this image, no one in all the kingdom could interpret this dream. And King Nebuchadnezzar was greatly distressed, the Bible says. In fact, he was freaking out. So he called everybody together and said, if you don't interpret this dream, I'm going to kill you. That's how stressed out about it he was, this dream. And finally, it came down to almost all the other people were being killed. And somebody brought up this young man named Daniel. And they came to the king and said, Oh, king, there's this young man who is captive of Judah, and you've brought him here into the kingdom, and I believe he can interpret your dream. And so Daniel came to the king and began to interpret this dream. And as he interprets the dream, I want to bring you to full figure of where we are in today in the year 2014 and the historical timeline, because a lot of times we read the book of Daniel or the book of Ezekiel or even the book of Revelation and say, I read it. I understand this and what it said. I don't understand how it relates to me now. I don't understand how it relates in the historical setting. I don't understand. So the prophet books, if you're like me, are weird. <laughs> and I struggle with the prophet books from Isaiah all the way through the end. Because how does it line up in historical time? But get this, it talks about the head of gold. The head of gold symbolizes Babylon when Daniel was actually in Babylon. And the 70 years of captivity and the kingdom that, that he was over. The chest of silver represents this. Medo-Persia was about to come in, in at the end of 70 years and overtake Babylon who had taken all Judah into captivity. So Media Persia and King Darius is going to come in and overthrow them. And so it's a second kingdom being established. So the first kingdom is Babylon. The second kingdom is Media Persia. The third kingdom, which talks about the torso of brass, is when Greece comes in and takes over. How many of y'all have ever heard of Alexander the Great in history? Okay, how many of y'all have not heard of Alexander the Great in history? Y'all need to watch History Channel more often, not for theological purposes by any means, because they're horrible, but for good history, you can watch it. Alexander the Great is one of the most historical figures in all of time. And so you have Babylon in charge for 70 years, and they get taken over by Medo-Persia, and then the Persian Empire grew huge and vast. And so Alexander the Great in Greece begins to rise on the scene, and so Alexander the Great begins to come in, and he begins to take over all of this through his lifetime. But then it talks about the legs of iron, and this talks about the Roman Empire that's about to rise up. The Roman Empire became the most powerful empire in the whole world. So powerful that when Jesus was born, he was born into the Roman Empire. And when you talked about Rome, it was classified like this. We're talking about Rome, which represents the whole known world as we know it. 
So it talks about the, the historical timeline where Daniel began to prophet or, or interpret the king's dream and said, hey, Babylon is this 70 years of gold. Then you have silver, which is talking about Medio-Persia. Then you have the next section, which is the brass, and it's talking about Alexander the Great rising up. Then you got the next section, which is talking about the legs of iron, the strongest part, and that's the, the, the Roman Empire that rises up. And then it talks about ten clay toes, and this is after the time Jesus is born and crucified. It talks about ten different um, uh, uh kingdoms that will begin to rise up throughout the earth and will last until Jesus Christ comes again at his second coming and then listen to this last verse what this last verse says he goes on to say and the wind carried them away not so not a trace of them could be found but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and it filled the whole earth what he's talking about is talking about when Jesus comes at the last days it's going to strike all the kings of mother earth and they're going to be blown away never to even be recognized again but the stone that struck it became a great mountain and it's being established as the kingdom of God is what it's talking about so Daniel didn't just prophesy about Jesus coming he prophesied about the messianic second coming as well and so as we begin to study the book of Daniel, I wanted to bring that part up because as you begin to study Daniel, he becomes a man of great resolve. A man of great resolve so much to the point that he doesn't begin to ever sway in his belief because of who God is in his life. So I need you to turn back a chapter. A back one chapter. How do you become a man of great resolve? Where does this guy even show up on the scene as? Because as he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream that we just went through there, that's him coming into his prophetic role, but... Before that, how did he get there? What did he do? What are some of the circumstances of his life? And so as we're in Daniel chapter number one, we're going to start in verse number eight. And it says, but Daniel resolved. Everybody say resolved. You're going to hear that word several times throughout this message. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that the king drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to not allow him to be defiled. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in sight of the chief and the eunuchs. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter what kind of captive state you're in, God can still give you favor. Amen? It doesn't matter how bad your life is, what circumstances you're going through, whether they're self-inflicted or whether they're coming from the outside, God can give you favor when you will choose and resolve not to defile yourself with the things of the world. Amen? God wants to move in your life. And he said, and, and, and God gave Daniel great favor and great compassion inside of the chief and the eunuchs. And the chief and the eunuchs said, Daniel, I fear the Lord, the king, who assigned me your food and your drink. For why should he see that you are in worse condition than all the rest of the youths who are of your own age? So why would I endanger my head with the king? And Daniel said to the steward, the chief of the eunuchs who was assigned over Daniel, and, and Hanai and Mishael and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. And let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let the appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed to you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and he tested Daniel and soon to be Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego for ten days. And at the end of ten days it was seen that they were in better appearance and fatter in flesh than the youth who ate the king's food. And so the steward took away their food and their wine to drink and gave them only vegetables. Now, this is not a, 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 a diet plan for, uh, I'll phrase this. Some of y'all read, they ate vegetables and they got fatter, okay? Don't, don't put that in your diet plan. Study that out different. So, as you begin to go through this, he spoke with them, and all among all them, there was none found like Daniel, Hanai, Mishael, and Ezrai. Therefore, they stood before the king in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them. And he found them, everybody say, ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in the kingdom of Babylon. And I want to stop right here because as we begin, it says, but Daniel resolved. 
And a resolve means to make a firm decision, to remove or dispel any doubts. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's got to be one thing that you begin to do in, in your life today. Begin to remove all doubt. I'll never forget the part in the movie, Remember the Titans. How many of y'all like that movie? When, when, the, when the refs were making bad calls, right? You remember that part? The refs were making bad calls, and then the defensive coach rises up, and their defense just begins to obliterate time and time and time again. And they just begin to knock the people down. They begin to run over them. They begin to literally crush them on every front. It doesn't matter what was against them, how many penalty flags they got called. They still went out and destroyed the enemy. And the one word that the defensive coach looked at Herman Boone, to the head coach, looked at him and said, said, Herman, leave no doubt of who they are. As a believer, there comes a time in your life when you look in your life and you look in yourself and you begin to look in the inner parts of your soul and you begin to say, there must become a point when I am resolved that I will rise up and I will leave no doubt in this world that the world understands that I'm a born-again, blood-bought child of the living God. There comes a time when we got to rise up with the resolve that removes all despair, that removes all doubt, and the world begins to know that I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. I would shudder to think that if I walked through Walmart that people would ever have have a question is Joel T. Meyer a believer I would shudder to think as I walk through this Hopkins County community that people would look at me and question do I really believe I need to rise up with a resolve that says I will leave no doubt Daniel said I'm gonna have a resolve did you remember the first three words and Daniel resolved and Daniel said to himself I will leave no doubt in these people's mind where I stand and he went to the person who was in charge of him and said test me for 10 days and the number 10 in the Bible is always representative of testing do you wonder why a tithe is called a tenth a tenth it's not about your money it's about a test it's about a test are you gonna resolve in yourself that it doesn't matter what my finances look like I have resolved I will not despair I will not remove I will remove all doubt that tithing is not an option we do it it doesn't matter matter what everything else looks like and if you do it no matter what everything else looks like like God says I'm going to open up the floodgates of heaven I'll pour out such a blessing on you you don't have room enough for it and he begins to go on to say all the blessings that come with it Daniel became a man of great resolve and also not only him but the people that were with him the three young people you know him as Meshach Shadrach and Abednego they said test us for 10 days and see if we do not look better and healthier and have more wisdom knowledge and understanding than everybody else that you got why did they want to be tested? Because they weren't going to fall to the defilement of another idol, of a king, the king of Babylon. Now, in this process of testing, I want to bring you back to the book of Genesis just for a second. Adam and Eve were tempted in the Garden of Eden with what? With a fruit. Jesus, when he got done fasting for 40 days, he was brought to a high mountain, the Bible says, to be tested. And when he was being tested, he was on the mountain. And the first thing the enemy came to him and says, Here's this food. Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, turn this stone into bread. They come to Daniel. The first thing they try to tempt Daniel with is what? <laughs> food. Do you see a common pattern here? Food is not the enemy. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying the greatest problem that believers face in their issue of resolve is not so much do they really love Jesus. It's our flesh is weaker than our, our flesh is stronger than our resolve. The greatest enemy we have in the body of Christ is not Satan himself. Satan's already been defeated. The greatest enemy you have is you. The greatest enemy Joel T. Meyer has is his flesh. The greatest enemy I struggle with in my everyday life, it's not Satan. Y'all give Satan a lot of credit for your undisciplined flesh. Amen? There's got to be a time as a believer, though, when you rise up, and even in the midst of steaks, and even in the midst of great food, and even in the midst of the best wine, that you're going to say, no, I'm not going to defile myself. I'm going to rise up and be who God's called me to be. Well, let's put it in a real term. In the midst of prostituting yourself out for a bigger dollar or a bigger paycheck, 
in the midst of, hey, I can cheat on my IRS taxes and nobody will ever know. I can do this and nobody will ever see it. I can do that and, hey, if I don't hurt anybody else, it's really not a big deal. The big deal is this. It's not about you versus everybody else. It's about you and the inner you. My Christian walk is not about me versus Heath Gamble. It's about me being Christ-like. I don't ever want you to sit back there and compare yourself to me or compare yourself to Damon or compare yourself to Jeff or compare yourself to anybody else. Here's why. Because your comparison is not with you and them. Your comparison is with you and you and the Jesus on the inside of you. And Daniel took a point. He took a stand and said, I will resolve that I will not do these things. Galatians, Paul goes on to say this, but I say that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the desires of the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the desires of the flesh. So these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want to do. I remember Paul in his writings, he goes on to say, those things I do I don't want to do, and those things I don't want to do I find myself doing. Oh, what a wretched man am I. You ever been there? Those things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. I don't want to cuss anymore, but I find myself cussing, right? I don't want to look at the internet sites anymore, but I find myself constantly going back. I don't want to do this act anymore, but I find myself doing it. Those things I don't want to do, I find myself doing, but the things I do want to do, I can't seem to do. And Paul was perplexed. He was torn. He was grieved about it. But he goes on to say this, if you walk by the Spirit of God, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. The problem is not saying no to the flesh. The big issue in the church today is we're not walking by the Spirit. It's not about the ability to say no to the flesh. It's about the ability to say yes to the Spirit of God in your life. And if you walk by the Spirit, the Bible says you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You know the best way to get out of, the, uh, out of an addiction is to get into the Spirit of God. The best way to get out of a problem is get into the Spirit of God. Because if you walk by the Spirit, you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh, the Bible says. And so it's time that as a church, we rise up with a resolve to say no to the flesh, but yes, a greater yes to the things of God. And I want to ask you this, how weak is our faith really if we can't say no to this flesh? How weak is our faith really if we can't say no to the flesh? And that begins to make us, should make us begin to shudder and say, God, Give me your spirit without measure. Because if I walk according to your spirit, I will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Daniel was a man who had resolve. He had a resolve over the flesh. You go on to the next part of Daniel chapter number 3. Daniel chapter 3, 16. This is the famous story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and, they, and the fiery furnace. You not only have to have resolve over the flesh, there's going to be a time when you have to have resolve in the midst of the fire. Resolve over the flesh and resolve in the midst of the fire. Daniel 3.16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king. I love this line. <laughs> it's one of the best lines in the whole Bible, I think. I, I, and, and maybe I just maybe it's just the way I read it. I read it with a bit of sarcasm and when they're looking at the king. Or maybe I read it with the, the bit of they just had such great confidence in their, in their walk with their God that they were able to answer the most powerful man in the world like this. Can, can you imagine answering the most powerful man in the world like this? And Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. He's like, I ain't even got to talk to you. <laughs> I mean, do you see what's happening? King, I don't even have to talk to you about this. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand. Everybody say, yeah. Everybody say, that's me. You need to get this kind of resolve. A resolve in the fire. Then he goes on to say, But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship your golden image that you have set up before us. You need to read Daniel chapter 3 this week. All of it. It's, just, it's not very long. Just read all of it. Now get this. 
the king's standing there, and he says, you're going to bow down and worship me, because that's the rule right now. You've got to bow down and worship me. And they said, we don't got to answer you in this. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if he does not, we're not going to bow down and worship you at all. Now, here's the problem with the, with, with the way an unrenewed mind reads this verse. You read this verse saying, our God is able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, that's not what they said. We read it, our God is able to deliver us, but if he doesn't, that's not what the Bible said. It says, our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. See, this wasn't a statement about questioning their faith in God. This was a faith statement declaring a statement about how their God would deliver. Now, a lot of Christians, when they read this, they say, yes, but Joel, it says, but if he doesn't. Did you read the first part of the verse? Our God is able, and he will. And then he goes on to say, but if he doesn't, we're not going to move on the resolve of our God. We're going to continue to serve him. This was not a questioning statement about their God. This was a statement about their faith and where they stood. You got to have resolve, not just going to the fire, but going through the fire. Some of us in this life, when times get tough, we begin to question God. Our electric bill doesn't quite get paid, and we say, oh God, where are you at? These people are finna go into a fire. But we believe they're finna go into a fire. And I love if you read the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, it's this. The king was so perturbed at them, so torqued off at them, he said this, heat it up seven times hotter. Make it, don't just make it hot, make it hot, 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 and hotter. Make it hot. So hot that the people who were making it hot died because of the heat. And get this, you got three young Jewish boys who have a resolve like never been seen before, and they said, oh, king, we don't even got to answer you in this matter. And our God, who is able to deliver us, and he will, out of your hand, is going to show up. And a lot of people are like, yay, great story. They still got thrown in the fire, right? That's like when we're struggling in life, and we go to God in prayer, and we pray, and it doesn't happen. We quit praising, and we start complaining. I guess if God really was God. See, you can't just have resolve going to the fire. You got to have resolve going through the fire sometimes. You can't just have resolve until it gets seven times hotter and then bail on it. You got to have resolve not just getting up to the door, but when you got to take that first step in there, and it's hot, and you're sweating, and you may be nervous, and it's okay to be nervous, but your resolve better overtake your nervousness because if there is any doubt, you're going to go the way of doubt. Resolve means to remove and dispel all doubt. Get every bit of it out. Because if you're about to be in a furnace seven times hotter than the norm, and there's an ounce of doubt, you're taking the ounce. (laughs) And you're going to run with it. And you're going to get out of it. There can be no doubt in what you're doing. The question is not a question of God's faithfulness. It's a statement of their faithfulness and who they're going to serve. And as many people use that verse to justify their lack of a relationship, many people use that verse to justify simply this, ignorance in God's word and a, rela- and, and a lack of a relationship with God. We use that verse many times because we don't really know what God's word says. And Rick Warren said it best, and, 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 and I applaud him for this statement because it's a very strong statement. He says, how can you call yourself a Christian when you don't even read your Bible? Well, the big problem in in the church today is we call ourselves Christian, but we never open the word of God. Therefore, when the fire comes, we don't have a resolve going to the fire, much less going through the fire. And so as he begins to make this statement, a lot of Christians throw this verse out there. But if he doesn't, we use it as a way to justify our situation, not what God is wanting to do. And a lot of times we're only telling of our ignorance of God's word and our lack of a relationship with the God we serve. And so as they got up there, as they were getting closer to the fire, they were going through it. And there must be a time in your life when you begin to stop and say, I'm going to resolve 
in my life that it doesn't matter what comes. doesn't matter what comes through those doors. doesn't matter what comes through the doors of our marriage. It doesn't matter what comes through the doors of this career, this calling on my life. I'm staying true to my calling. And I'm staying true in the midst of the fire up to it. And I'm staying true in the midst of the fire going through it. Now listen to this. We know what the Bible says. They, it says they got up to the fire. And then the king said, throw them in. All the people throwing them in died. Now, they, did you catch the uniqueness of this? Seven times hotter, people died throwing them in. They were in. They were walking around. And the king freaks out and says, hey, didn't we throw three men in there? But I see a fourth one looking like the son of God in the midst of the fire. And get this. The king who heated it seven times hotter. This shows the grace of God. The king who heated it seven times hotter and killed the people thrown in runs up to the door and looks in it and doesn't die. Woo. That, that'll preach God's mercy even on the ungodly in the midst of the fire to have them turn their hearts to a true God because how this story ends is absolutely miraculous I'll get there in just a minute the, ki the king runs up sticks his head in there and says I see the fourth and he looks like the son of God because sometimes I said you got to have resolve going to the fire but you also got to have resolve going through the fire because sometimes in the midst of the fire you will see Christ clearer than you've ever seen Christ in your life and if you'll have resolve going to the fire and going through the fire God will get you through on the other side and you will know Christ in a way you've never known him before because it's not God's will that any should perish, but all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The king runs up, sticks his head in there, and looks in there and says, I see the fourth like the Son of God. They pull him out and he says, I'm making a new decree that everybody's got to start worshiping their God, not me. Woo. See, even through the fire, where you have resolved to the fire, you have resolved through the fire. God gets you through. And on the other side, you're better off than you were. And you're better off than you've ever been for several reasons. You see Christ clearer than you ever have. That's the number one reason. The number two reason is that everybody around you starts believing in your God, in your Savior, in your Lord, in our Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13, 12 says it like this. Now if anyone builds on a foundation of gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will come to manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the sword of each work, each one's work that they have done. And the work that everyone has built on the foundation, it will survive and he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as going through the flames. See, the Bible talks about it. It's a common theme throughout the whole thing. Resolve going to the fire. Resolve going through the fire. When you have resolve going through the fire, you'll see Christ clearer than ever before. So you got to have resolve over the flesh. you got to have resolve in the fire. And also you got to have this. you got to have resolve in your faith. Turn over to Daniel chapter 6. Then these high officials and, and satraps came by agreement on the king and said, Oh, King Darius, live forever. So see, now we already got a different king. In the first part, it was Nebuchadnezzar. Now it's King Darius. This is where Medo-Persia has taken over. Like I said in the beginning, you had the Babylonian Empire. Then you had Medo-Persia coming in, taking over. And all that's prophesied in Isaiah as well. Uh, these high officials and the, and the satraps that came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance that O King shall be that, excuse me, should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any man or God for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast in a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed... Not to worship any other god, not to worship any other king. And if you do, you'll be thrown into a den of lions. When he knew that it had been signed, he went to his house where he had the windows of his upper chamber opened up towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God just as he had done 
previously, when the document had been signed, Daniel said, I'm still going to go pray. When he knew his life was on the line, he said, I'm still going to go pray. When he knew that everything he did right now is fixing to get me killed, I'm going to go pray. You can't just have resolve over the flesh, resolve in the fire, but you got to have a resolve in your faith. Daniel did not worship God in fear of losing his life. Get this. He worshiped his God knowing that this was the only way he could truly live. Daniel didn't worship God in fear of losing his life. Daniel worshiped God knowing this is the only way he could truly live. I remember this story. There was a young man who was going to war for the first time, and this was World War II, and as the, 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 his overseeing officer was right here, he saw him in the bunker next to him, and he was all shaking, and he was scared. So he goes over, and he says, and he says what's wrong, son? And he said, I'm afraid of dying. And the overseeing officer looked at him and shook his head and said, son, if you'll realize you're already dead, you can go live. If you'll realize that you're already dead, you can go live, and you'll fight this war. As we as believers, if we'll realize we're already dead, then we'll truly live for Jesus. The problem is, many of us love to say the verse, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives within me. We say that verse, but we don't live that verse. Because if we'll realize we're already dead, we won't have a problem living for Jesus. The problem is, we're not really already dead. We haven't crucified our flesh. We have no resolve over the flesh, the very first point. Therefore, if we don't have resolve over the flesh, that means Joel's still living, and Joel will fight the Jesus living on the inside of him. But if I realize that Joel's already dead, and Joel has nothing to live for, so if I'm dead, I can then begin to live for Christ, the one who died and now is living for me once again. Daniel said the same thing. Daniel said, if I bow down to this king, if I quit worshiping my God, yeah, I may exist here in this earth, but I won't ever live again. See, you can exist here in this earth and die one day and die forever, or you can die here in this earth and live for eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm choosing to die now and live later, amen? Listen, as a believer, the only way you can really live is when you choose to die. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives within me. Jesus goes on to say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So for whoever would save his life will now lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Church, I want to ask you this morning, what about your resolve in Jesus? Do we have resolve over the flesh? The flesh is a bigger enemy than Satan ever thought about being. Do you have resolve over the flesh? Do you have resolve going to the fire and going through the fire? Do you have a resolve in the midst of your faith where you realize your faith is what's saving you? Your faith is what's helping you live. Your faith is, enables the Spirit of God to be life on the inside of you. Do you have resolve in your faith? A resolve that dispels all doubt that I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ that lives within me.